1: It's a bumpy ride, but we seem to be on the downward slope of the coronavirus pandemic after more than two harrowing years. And if there's any lesson we learned over that time, it's that a global pandemic can have very different impacts on different populations. Black and brown communities were hit harder, for example. So were women. And the disparities are not going away. This weekend, we'll speak with someone working full-time to end the inequities. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend is Felicia Davis Blakely. She is the president and CEO of the Chicago Foundation for Women. That, in and of itself, is a big job and a big responsibility, but Ms. Davis Blakely specializes in those kinds of jobs. She was a police violent crimes detective. She was a deputy mayor for public safety, a deputy chief of staff to Mayor Rahm Emanuel, Chicago's building commissioner and interim president of Olive Harvey College. And I don't think I have listed everything. The point is that Felicia Davis is known for being a capable woman. But what happens to capable women when a pandemic like COVID-19 hits and it hits women disproportionately hard? Well, we're going to discuss that very topic this weekend. How is this for Full Circle? Felicia was the last guest on Ad Issue, whose interview was recorded in our Prudential Plaza studios, and we were forced to go to Zoom conferencing after that because of COVID. Well, we still haven't gone back, so this interview is via Zoom. And Felicia Davis-Blakely, it is good to see you again.
2: It's good to see you, too. I have an honor of being the last in-studio guest, I guess.
1: Um, But all of this is a perfect indication that while things are getting better, uh, they are not back to normal. And that seems to be the case with women in the workplace. And I guess I also need to say that normal wasn't all that great either
2: normal wasn't all that great either. I mean, we the reality is that there were many inequities, um, there was a gender pay um, gap that still persists, but there are also racial um, pay inequities and racial work gaps that exist as well. And so women have been hit doubly hard, particularly women of color. I mean, so if I just look at what, just at work, like what it means about the workforce, In January, just before the pandemic started, going back to 2020, um, the New York Times reported that women had just outpaced men in total workforce participation. So there were more women in the workforce than there were men for the first time. Um, But if we look more recently at the January jobs reports coming out of uh, BLS, it shows that since February, 2020, 1.1 million women who left the labor force have yet to return. And when I look at you know, the most recent unemployment numbers, overall employment rate um, is at 3.6% in January for women, but it was at 5.8% for Black women, and it actually increased in February to 6.1%. And so we still continue to have um, some inequities show themselves. And, um, and as we go into year three of the pandemic, you know, there's a lot that needs to be done to address it.
1: Did the gap widen during the pandemic? I mean, like, as you said, it was it was definitely that there were more women than men ahead. But did we see things get worse as the pandemic went on? Or is it just that women were, you know, went down and they just never recovered?
2: No, we saw things get worse um, as the pandemic went on. And part of that is because one out of three jobs um, designated as, um, um, workers, the, what was the term that they were using? Um, Essential. Essential workers. One out of three of those jobs were, were women. But if we look, if you take a deeper look, 77% of the healthcare jobs were women, over 52% in hospitality were women. And so when you start to look at the sectors that were hit initially, and also have been the slowest to recover, many of those jobs Um, have been held by women and also then doubly by women of color. So if I look at hospitality sector alone, um, many of those jobs are held by members of our immigrant community. Um, 78% of social workers are women. And so there continue to be um, this persistent um, economic uh, downward impact on women because of COVID, as well as we still continue to have some health consequences and what that means too.
1: And, and, it would seem in some ways that, that women were being or groups of women were being pulled in different direction. As you point out many lost jobs because of those sectors, the hospitality sector, whether it's restaurants or uh, hotels uh, got hit hard. Um, but others had to work. Uh, and, and, you know, that were essential, like the health workers, um, health was, was booming, but these are workers who weren't, as well paid and who also had to go to work no matter what, even if they were worried about their families.
2: Absolutely, that's a really important point. Um, In those early days, I mean, I think people look at like, oh, we're over that now, but there is stress related to all of these compounding factors. In those early days, the healthcare workers and also the essential workers, many of them had to provide their own PPE, they did not have protective equipment uh, supplied to them, and so if you're already marginal on the oh. margins because of the income that you're earning, women, uh, on an average woman, white women earned 83 cents to one dollar um, that a white man earns for the same work. But that number goes down to 55 cents for a Latina woman, uh, 63 cents for a Black woman, and so there are huge gaps in equity as it relates to pay to begin with, um, and so the pandemic even in the healthcare sector, there were plenty, there are many places that closed. I mean, we had a lot of closures in place. And then also think about this, the essential workers, many women in order to work are also have to require childcare, but the childcare centers were also closed. And so many of the childcare center workers are women, women of color and women from our immigrant communities. So all of this is just stacking on top of of all of the other inequities that were already in place.
1: And that seems to be the the story that we're dealing with, you know, even as we, you know are coming out of it. But I remember um, the phrase "she session," which is hard to say, but we had to learn to say it, um, was a real uh, a real issue going through, trying to get through. and even beyond daycare and, and you point out schools close but if your children are sick can you stay home to take care of them and if you don't have a job can you keep housing i mean it seems as if uh i you know in some ways like you you wonder how people even got through it and and how did the people get through it how did women get through it
2: Yeah, I think a lot of it is, you know, one of the things that I believe, and I see this every day played out in the work that I get to do, women have been holding our communities together for forever. Um, On the front lines, if I look at just the nonprofit sector and I look at all of the direct service organizations, um, women have um, been leading in a lot of respects in the direct services organizations on the front line, helping other families um, and also providing for their own families. Um, women were very creative in creating networks to help support, you know, pods with childcare and other things to help um, make that possible. Um, there was some flexibility. I mean, the reality is that our account, our economy came to a standstill virtually, and so corporate sectors, government, everyone had to reckon with the fact that in order to restart our economy, we actually needed to provide, and that's why you know President uh, Biden said that childcare was essential infrastructure because it really is. How are we going to have uh, uh, millions of workers that we need return back to the workforce, men and women, let's be honest, if we do not have childcare being provided. And so many of those duties of unpaid care have fallen to women historically, but certainly that burden increased during the pandemic with the things you talked about, the remote learning for children. And even now, I mean, most recently, you know, as we were seeing, we were coming out, or people were feeling that the COVID numbers were going down, we have the Omicron surge, which then required women to reactivate all of those systems that they had in place. And so some women who had returned to work saw themselves having to leave work again because they needed the flexibility of being at home as school systems closed down um, or went to remote learning. The women had to manage that remote learning for their families and their children.
1: Mm. Um. Have we seen any bright lights for essential workers uh, coming out of this? You know, I, I get the sense of a lot of essential workers realizing, wait a minute, we, we, we're important and we're needed and we're not paid well. I mean, is that realization helping
2: it has, in some respects, we did see some wage escalation. We saw employers paying premiums, paying um, sign-on bonuses, retention bonuses, and things like that. Um, but I want to be clear about that was already on top of an inequitable system. So my, you know, last week was equal was equal payday, first equal pay before everything else, and I think employers had been slow to really level the playing field for women um, um, and providing that equal pay. And so during the, de- the hardest parts, um, pay equity, some pay um, increases happened. The other thing is that the provision of when the federal um, government um, enforced that there should be paid leave, that everyone needed access to paid sick leave um, in case of a COVID related illness. Well, that should be the standard bar, um, that should be the floor. Every worker should have access to paid leave, and they should be able to use that leave to provide for care, um, child care duties if they're ill themselves, um, or to take care of someone else who is uh, who is ill in their family. And so there have been some bright spots in that this is a national conversation, actually. I mean, this is the first time um, I can recall in history where these issues are being talked about, not just in the context of, oh, the woman just needs to take care of it, but in the context of corporations, government organizations wrestling with this um, across the board and CEOs and, you know, the president of the United States elevating this conversation um, to the national level.
1: Mm. Uh, let's stop and talk about Equal Payday for, for a minute, because, you uh, people hear the phrase, explain what it means and why we need to pay attention to it.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of a misnomer. So equal pay date uh, and it's at its core is the time that it takes a, a woman to work in the current year to make up for the pay that she did not receive in the last year. So an example from January one to December 31, you know, you've worked. And a man has worked, and so because women um, don't receive the, pay, the same pay, they have to work more into the new year to actually equal the pay that they would have been given. And so for 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 white women, that date is in March. It usually falls around March. And actually, there was a small uptick this year. It came a little bit earlier because of the uh, wage um, increases that we saw that were really related to COVID. We don't know yet if that if those numbers will stick as. You know, things resume to normal and companies and organizations go back to their normal course. But what that then means is that, you know, a black woman, for example, has to work until August of the following year. So she's worked the whole year of 2021 and until August of 2022 to make the same amount of money that a white male has made for the same work. Um, and that that date gets even further for Latino women. They have to work until October. So they're nearly working. So you see that inequity, right? You're that's working, almost
1: half. Right? That's,
2: that's, you almost have, you're almost working two, for two years to make the same amount of money that a man has earned for the same work. And we just, it is time that we do away with this double standard. It is time that we pay women for, for, for their worth and for their work and their contributions to work.
1: Mm. Um, when people feel they aren't being appreciated, sometimes they leave. Uh, and, you know, it was called the great resignation during uh, COVID. Um, is that, does that represent some of the women who are not uh, coming back? Because you said like a, a million, more than a million women are, are not returning to work is it by choice or by circumstance
2: you know it's a little bit of both um as we see the covid cases go down I mean, early on it was by circumstance it was because of the overwhelming amount women on average are giving 5 hours of additional care every day unpaid care every day in addition to the 8 hours or more that they're working and so that's a heavy load that women were already carrying so presently, we find ourselves. Some of it is absolutely by choice. For the first time, I saw a data point the other day that said 30% of workers are leaving jobs without a new job lined up. That is a significant number in our history. People will always line up a new job when someone was giving their two weeks notice. They already had another job, a job lined up. People are not giving two weeks notices necessarily, and they're leaving jobs without having that in place. And so this, um, this the Great Resignation. Um is both of those pieces, right? Some of it is by you having, I have to do this because I have to take care of my family. And some of it is the weight of everything that has come on to the worker, women in the workplace heretofore. It is having to take care of um, a lot of work, not be paid for that work. It is not being provided opportunities for promotion. Leanin.org, um, and um, McKinsey do this research every year about women in the workplace. And a statistic that always, or a, a, a finding that always blows my mind is that women, men are hired for their future potential or promoted just on the basis of, I think he will be a good candidate. Women have such a high double standard that women with PhDs and advanced degrees um, are not given the same opportunities as men with high school degrees um, or high school diplomas or high school equivalency. And this, this persistent, persistent gender gap, and it, gets, it and it's, continues to expand um, for people of color and particularly black workers have always faced discrimination in the workplace and those numbers bear themselves out. And so if you're facing these compounding factors in the workforce um, at present, Some people are saying, I'm going to bow out of the workforce, Um, they're regrouping. On the other side of that, what we have seen slight uptick in some um, women starting businesses and um, launching um, um, enterprises um, for themselves that really center their values and the things that they want to see in community.
1: You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is Felicia Davis-Blakely, President and CEO of the Chicago Foundation for Women, and I do want to talk a little bit about that. That uh, that yes, we are seeing women-owned businesses, uh, or at least I know I am seeing more of them than I used to see, and uh, you know there are more women launching startups. Um, how's that going? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it's good in one respect, right? So I, I feel, I feel like I'm always going to say, however, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's good in one respect. We want to see women startups, um, and women are the growing um, 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 sector, or you know, the growing uh, gender starting businesses. The other side to the coin is that those businesses that are started by women are not always resourced like other businesses. So even from a venture capital standpoint, they receive fewer dollars, Um, small business loans. um, So it it is this persistent um, gender parity issue or or inequity that really still plays itself out. However, women are starting to see a lot of success as they start their businesses. And it depends. And it really depends on what the, what the woman, why she started the business in the first place. So I know a woman, um, she was part of our Inglewood women's initiative at the Chicago foundation for women. And she started a small business. Um, and her goal really was then to just employ a couple or three women from her community so that those women could provide for themselves. And she achieved that goal. She achieved that goal. And so it really um, it depends on, you know, what they went into business um. Um, for in the first place. And a lot of it is that they're that in the workforce, they're doing this work, they're ideating, and they're doing all of this, they're not getting credit for it, um, either, you know, being recognized for that, but also from a financial standpoint. So they've decided to take their energies and their labors, and put out their own, um, start their own shop in many instances.
1: Hmm. And I know we, well, first, I want to address an argument we sometimes hear from some businesses not all um that you know the this recovery is tough for everyone uh and we're all going to have a tough time getting back on our feet women are just simply part of that tough time and uh you know it's we'll all get through this and let's deal with these equity issues after we're all back on our feet i mean what what do you say to people who are saying yeah we'll we we get to that but right now things are tough
2: yeah well the thing about that is that i actually think the moment is now women have been waiting in line um women of color have been waiting in line our native women i mean this you know, the, the, the the notion that oh we this isn't the good time you know how often women have heard like this isn't the right time this isn't the right time and so we are waiting, and it will be 2130, 2130 before Black women receive pay equity if nothing changes. So we're saying, oh, just wait a little longer. That's, that seems a, that's a lot longer than a little, if you ask me, Craig. And so this is the moment. I mean, systems are being, complete systems are being rebuilt. Organizations are being redesigned. Um, companies are putting in more they actually are attempting to put in more equity and more flexibility and more of those things now is the time to really shape organizations to shape government entities to reflect the full diversity of our city of our nation is the t- the time is really now and so actually i will say women have already been waiting for 100 years or more they should we should not be expected to wait another hundred years for full
1: parity. And another issue of parity is that there is still something called the subminimum wage, which sounds like an oxymoron. If it's minimum, but it's subminimum, so it's below minimum. Uh, But that is standard for many restaurant workers and others. Uh, And how do how is the fight going? Uh, I know that there are fights going to get rid of that.
2: So just, in Illinois, um, you know, there's been a fight just, and let's just, these things are not unrelated. All of these essential workers that we were talking about earlier, many of them had to fight for a, a minimum wage of $15. And that's a floor, not a ceiling. But subminimum wage workers earn $6.60 in Illinois. Um, and so CFW and other organizations were part of a one fair wage coalition because we think that that is simply unjust. Um, when we've introduced a bill to eliminate the sub-minimum wage in our state, which would then impact the city and the county wage ordinance. And right now, you know, the city, the county, and the state have their own wage ordinances, which includes a sub minimum wage. And so this is a, you know, this is a, we're trying to patchwork together, one, that's why we're calling it one fair wage, so that no matter where you work in the state of Illinois, no matter what county or city that you're in, you have equity. And doing away with the sub-minimum wage would really have a huge impact for these workers. You know, just a short time ago, a million, a record high a million restaurant and hotel workers left the workforce. And again, I've already talked about the fact that. Over 55% of the hospitality sector is represented by women, and so it had a significant impact. And so this, you know, and I, I have to, I also have to say that a lot of this, um, this inequity really starts has its roots, unfortunately, in, in Jim Crow and other laws where women and people of color who were serving and Black people were simply just not paid a fair wage for the work that they were doing. So it's time for us to do it away with these sexist, misogynist policies and have true equity. And I will say this, this is a really important point because sometimes when I say this conversation, men think, oh, she's just trying to take, she's trying to you know, give us a short show. She's trying to take something away from us. And I will say this to you. If Chicago, if our region, if our region, we were world-class just as it relates to pay equity, it would be $58 billion in GDP. That is a significant amount of money that would be going to our families, to your family. Because every man listening today, if you haven't tuned out, <laughs> <laughs> your wife, your daughters, your sister, any woman you love, i ha- the stats will show you, the research will show you that she is likely not being paid equity at her workplace. So this is an issue for you too. This is an issue. This inequity impacts every single one of us in the region
1: aside from attacking the sub-minimum wage, and, and we should be you know, fair enough to say that there are a number of restaurants that are in favor of it. Uh, yeah. And there are some restaurants that have completely done away with the sub-minimum wage and said, no, we're ignoring that. Uh, we, we, we pay everybody minimum wage. It's still not good, but it's, minim- it's at least minimum wage. What can or should government be doing right now? In yeah. So big picture now.
2: Yeah. This, you know, we talk a lot about policy change, right? So there's what can government do, what can corporations do, and then what is the work of individuals? And so government, you know, providing those worker protections in place. Um, the city of Chicago and, and 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 Chicago Foundation for Women was part of this, um, funding this effort to get domestic workers to have them understand their rights. And so the city of Chicago passed an ordinance that requires. Um, If someone works in your home, if you have a domestic worker, you have to give them a contract, a written contract in their preferred language. And it has to spell out the things um, that are called for in this employee-employer relationship. So kind of formalizing those relationships because, you know, for many people, your home is their workplace. And so I make a personal pledge that anyone who, any person who is providing care for me, I have pledged that I will not be a reason why they are paid inequitably. And so government can set the framework, right? So they've set the ordinance in place, but then then you know, government, corporation, individuals. Individuals have a role to play in this too. Um, And so individuals also have to commit to that. And so from a domestic worker standpoint, it's really important. The other thing that government can do really is um, policy, you know, research and policy, right? And to and to share that information and to highlight the stories of success. You talked about the fact that some in the restaurant industry actually welcome this change. Are 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 saying this is something that we do. We we are doing. Um, one of my favorite restaurants, Lula Cafe in Chicago, is one of those restaurants that is paying equitably. It's on their website, um, and them and a growing number of organizations are really leading in this way. Because if we want the society that we all need for to be just and equitable, then individual actors corporate actors and government actors need to all do an alignment and really push forward equity.
1: Uh, let me uh, also ask what uh, CFW, what your organization is doing. Cause I know that uh, you've got in, announced an investment of more than a million dollars in support of women, girls, trans and gender, uh, non-binary black indigenous people of color. What are the kinds of programs that uh, CFW can do?
2: Oh, absolutely. So, one, since our founding, CFW has invested over $43 million um, in hundreds of organizations and leaders leveraging the generosity of thousands of donors, impacting over 90,000 women, girls, trans, and gender non-binary individuals. In September of last year, 2021, we um, introduced our Shikavri initiative. And this initiative is really designed around helping to make sure that there is an equitable recovery for women. And so pillar of recovery is to raise money and to invest in those those organizations. And there are four things that we're focusing on. In addition to the work that we do every single day, the first one is really getting women back to work, right? Helping to make sure that women are getting back to work and that they are earning an equitable wage in that work. The second one is really to address the eviction crisis because of COVID because of the pandemic and the economic impacts, many families in Chicago are facing the threat of eviction. The other one, and I've talked about this a little bit, is really um, caring for our caregivers. Our economy does not work without the provision of care. And overwhelmingly heretofore, that care has been unpaid, under, or unvalued. And so we are trying to give dignity, every worker deserves respect and dignity. And the last pillar, for the recovery because we are still in a pandemic is really about demanding an anti-racist healthcare system the state of illinois passed law um has law in the books a couple of years ago right before the pandemic that um uh, mandates training implicit bias training for healthcare workers
1: that is going to be our final word <laughs> that is felicia davis blakely President and CEO of the Chicago Foundation of Women, thank you so much for uh, spending this half hour uh, with us. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. You can also find our podcast on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of that Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 105.9 WBBM.